Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Andrea Pride. And in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about costs relating to cloud computing and software as a service. I have a repeat appearance from uh, Gary Berkovich, one of the partners in charge of PwC's Global Accounting Services, and a new guest, Rachel Rubenstein, who is a technology and strategy consultant in our SNAP practice. So welcome, Gary and Rachel. Hiya. Hello, everyone. First, before we get into the accounting, um, I'm interested in what exactly cloud computing is and what is software as a service. Rachel, could you give us a bit of, a, um, of an overview? Absolutely. So I'm a technology and strategy consultant in our SAP practice. I do a lot of cloud computing work. And cloud computing, for those that don't know, is a model that we use for delivering information technology services through web-based tools and applications. Uh, we use SaaS a lot, um, so you'll hear that frequently throughout this podcast. SaaS is software as a service, and these are contracts that the customer generally does not obtain a software license or have the right to take possession of that software. The access to software is a service that the customer actually receives over the contract term. What this typically means is that the software remains on the seller's hardware, that the buyer will only have access to the software through something like an internet connection, um, which is in contrast to our normal kind of software. So it's in the name, isn't it? It's a service rather than a product that you buy. Exactly. Cool. So software as a service arrangements, they um, might not come straight out of the box in the way products do. Um, And I think some of them can come with significant configuration or customization costs. Can you tell us a bit about those, please? Yeah, and it's actually uh, one of the reasons our customers really like SaaS, because it is an opportunity to do a bit more customization and configuration. Um, Of course, this does then come with additional customization costs, and that these costs are normally incurred at the start of an arrangement, so they wouldn't typically happen at the end, um, as they happen during design or when you're starting to um, bring on the service into your contract. Um, These costs do end up modifying or adding to the base software, and so it is not exactly out of the box. And what this um, may do is it actually can create additional functionalities within the software. Um, So it is an opportunity for the customer, as we said. So you could have custom reports or custom integrations that are more specifically tailored to your company. Um, What's interesting is that these costs can be borne by different parties. So it's not necessarily just a service that the entity does themselves, like with their employees, but actually the SaaS provider who is giving them the software can do the integrations and the customizations themselves, or they can hire a third party to do it. Okay, thank you. That's interesting. Um, So this is IFRS Talks after all. So I'm going to now turn to Gary. Um, And Gary, we're going to ask you to tell us a bit about what's interesting about cloud computing, SaaS arrangements, customization and configuration costs from an accounting perspective. So what's on at the moment? What what are the accounting challenges? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I think it's just picking up some of what Rachel said. I think because it's um, gaining a lot more uh, traction with companies and more companies are embarking on this, obviously that kicks up the accounting questions. And so Today, we've actually had two accounting questions that have gone to the IFRS Interpretations Committee on on SAS arrangements. The first was back in March of 2019, where there was an agenda decision more broadly about about, uh, SAS arrangements and asking whether or not they are a service or whether or not you can can capitalize them as as a whole. And that was a while back, and I think the committee 
basically said, as, as you said, Andrea, it's in the name that it's, it's generally a service and that changed the model for how you account for, for these types of arrangements before when you used to buy your software, you'd capitalize it. Now, when you enter into a SaaS arrangement, you will generally expense it as you incur the costs. And that, that was 2019 um, in March. And then more recently, we've had a, another interpretations committee meeting where in March 2021, the committee focused specifically on the treatment of customization and configuration costs, as, as Rachel was, was mentioning, the, the upfront costs that are, that are incurred before the SaaS is actually provided to the customer. So can you tell us a bit more about what the IFRIC said about the accounting for these costs, Gary? Yeah, sure. So when this question went to the interpretations committee, I think they were very specific in in what in how they define these types of costs. Because because as as Rachel said, and, and, and she may say some more, you know, when people talk about customization configuration, that can mean a whole lot of different things to different folks depending on how they define it. And so the committee was very clear on how they defined it. I'm not going to take everyone's time up rereading re, re what what they defined it as, but very simply, they were kind of saying configuration is is when you're setting flags or switches within the software, defining how, how you want the, the SaaS to be to be set up within the way in which the framework can be deployed. And then customization is typically involving modifying the existing software code in the application or, or writing additional, additional code. Um, and I think Rachel mentioned that these costs can be borne by the different parties. And the committee concluded that identifying which party uh, is providing the, the customization consideration is actually Quite important in the thought process, and and basically, and I think when we when we issue our guidance, it's much easier with a diagram. But let me let me try to do it uh, via via speech, and we'll see if it works. But they've they've said that if if the customization or consideration is rendered by a third party who's not a subcontractor, then it's most likely that that customization or uh, configuration will be expensed as it's incurred. Uh, if the, I'm going to start calling it CC just to make it a little bit easier off, off, off the tongue. If the CC is rendered by the SaaS provider um, or a third party who is a subcontract of the SaaS provider, then the committee said you actually need to look at IFRS 15 to determine whether the services are distinct from the overall SaaS arrangement, which can have implications on the accounting. Because if they are distinct, then you expense them as incurred. And if they're not distinct, then you, you recognize them as a, as a prepayment. Great, thanks, Gary. And it's hard to say in speech, like you say, but we do have a publication um, and in depth that is out. So um, we'll put a link to that in the talking points and, and those interested can see it in more specific detail there. Um, Gary, when you said look to IFRS 15 when the SaaS provider provides a service, can you give us a little bit more color on that, please? Yeah, sure. And I think that because that was actually a lot of the discussion that happened at the committee. And I think it actually starts out with Clearly, you're trying to work out as the as the customer buying the the SaaS whether or not you can capitalize these these CC costs. And normally, you know, and we would we look to IS 38, so that is actually where you go to. But I think the committee in doing that actually acknowledged that IS 38 says that you recognize a service as an expense when it is performed by the supplier in accordance with the contract. And I think then the committee said, look, there's nothing else in IS38 that tells you how you work out when the supplier has performed, but IFRS 15 does actually give us a huge amount of detail on telling the supplier from their perspective when they've actually um, performed and therefore they can recognize revenue. And so that's why the committee said you, you look to IFRS 15 to determine whether or not the, the CC provided by um, the, the SaaS provider is distinct from the um, from the SaaS arrangement, 
And folks will recall that a good or service is distinct if um, the customer can benefit from the good or service either on its own or with other readily available resources, and it's separately identifiable. And therefore, the assessment of whether or not the, uh, the CC provided by the SAS provider is distinct needs to consider those two elements in, in IFRS 15. Okay, so distinct CC get expenses incurred, not distinct ones get recognized as a prepayment. Are these costs generally distinct? Ah, magic question. Well, I, I think that's, that's a very difficult question, but I think, you know, the question I'd maybe phrase it slightly differently is, is asking it in, in a couple of ways to say, you know, is it capable of being distinct? So could could the service that the SaaS provider is, is providing be provided by a third party? In many cases, yes, that'll be the case, but in some cases it might be sp so specific that only the SaaS provider could provide it. So that's the capable of being distinct part, but, you know, generally it would it would, it would probably be able to be capable of being distinct. But then when you ask yourself whether or not that's, that's, uh, the CC activities are, are separable um, from the SaaS service as a whole, I think, again, if we look at the guidance in, in, in IFRS 15, if the CC significantly modifies or customizes the service that's going to be received, then the CC wouldn't be distinct from the SaaS arrangements. Yeah, and I think if, if I'll just jump in here, but um, whilst I'm not an accounting expert, it is worth pointing out that many SaaS providers don't actually do the customization or configuration themselves. This is something that the customer would request or a third party would do. Okay, thanks for that. Um, so let's suppose that a company does need to change its accounting policies because of these two agenda decisions. Um, what would be the transition requirements? How do they actually change from the old to the new policies? Yeah, that's a great question, Andrea. And, and again, we might have covered this on other podcasts, but just to remind folks that as with all agenda decisions, um, there's no transition guidance. And so it's applied retrospectively and normally effective immediately. Um, and so any change in the amounts recognized in the financial statements sh should be applied retrospectively, which will mean your comparative amounts will also need to be um, restated. And uh, any material change in the financials as a result of entities reconsidering their accounting should be disclosed in a transparent way as we would any other change in, in IS8, which is the standard on changes in accounting policies. Okay. And in terms of the timing, if they need to change the agenda decisions are already out, um, when do they need to do that by? Yeah, another really difficult question. Sure, <laughs> hard ones are coming on this podcast. So I think, you know, the, the agenda decision was part of the March 2021 IFRS Interpretations Committee meeting and it was ratified by the board in April. Uh, now, I think what's important here is there's no hard and fast rule on how quickly companies are expected to, to implement an accounting policy change that results from an agenda decision because, as I said, it, it doesn't have transition, transition guidance. However, companies are entitled to sufficient time to implement such changes, which the ISB has, has mentioned publicly. And so how much time is sufficient, I think, is a, is a judgment folks will need to make based on the specific facts and circumstances. But I think a good rule of thumb would be, you know, because it came out in April, if you have a December uh, reporting period, I think it would probably make sense to assume you should, you should in most cases, um, have had a sufficient amount of time to have this done by the, by the end of December. Yeah, Gary, and I think it's important to point out that this is not a quick exercise. A lot of these large-scale programs will have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lines of cost. Each will have to be reclassified. It's an extremely time-consuming and complex process. Okay, so they need to have a busy few months now then, I guess, if yes. that's the case. Great. 
So thank you, uh, Rachel and Gary, for joining me today in this podcast. Um, from what you said, I think my main takeaway is that these SaaS arrangements typically involve big configuration and customization costs. And from a, an accounting perspective, they need to be considered on their characteristics and, and considered individually, hundreds and hundreds of lines, you said, Rachel. So if you are capitalizing a lot of costs, then you need to look really carefully at what you've done and if it's appropriate. Um, for more information, we've got our in-depth publication, which should have been out in the last week or two, um, which will be linked to the talking points accompanying this podcast. So all that remains for me to say now is thank you to all our listeners. Welcome back after the summer and stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding program was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.